In the 1920s, American dairy farmers noted a strange disease causing their cows to bleed to death. A Canadian veterinarian named Frank Schofield traced the disease to sweet clover hay that had gone moldy. Lab studies of sweet clover identified the compound dicuramol as the culprit inhibiting the clotting process in the animals. A potent variant of dicuramol, known as warfarin, was developed into a rat poison. While warfarin was later shown to be safe in humans and marketed under the name of Coumadin, it remained underutilized due to the association with rat poison. Warfarin's popularity didn't take off until American President Dwight Eisenhower was treated with it after a heart attack. Today, though newer anticoagulant drugs have been developed, warfarin still remains commonly used by millions worldwide. Today, our patient needs anticoagulation. And you are the doctor. Welcome to The Intern at Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Sorting Out a Bloody Mess, an Overview of Anticoagulation. Time for our minute physiology. Clot formation develops through primary and secondary hemostasis. Primary hemostasis leads to the formation of a platelet plug at the site of vascular injury. Primary hemostasis is triggered by injury to the vessel wall, exposing subendothelial collagen. Von Willebrand factor helps platelets stick to this exposed subendothelial collagen. Platelets also stick to each other, ultimately forming a platelet plug at the site of injury. However, the platelet plug by itself is not very strong or durable. The platelet plug needs to be stabilized by deposition of insoluble fibrin, generated by the coagulation cascade, also known as secondary hemostasis. The coagulation cascade is initiated via the extrinsic pathway when tissue factor is released from injured tissue cells, endothelial cells, and monocytes at the site of vascular injury. Together, tissue factor and circulating factor 7A activate factor 10 and its cofactor 5, initiating the common pathway. This ultimately leads to the activation of factor 2, or prothrombin. Activated factor 2, also called thrombin, converts fibrinogen to fibrin monomers, which polymerize to form a clot. The activity of the extrinsic pathway is amplified by the intrinsic pathway, which contains factors 12, 11, 9, and 8. The intrinsic pathway joins extrinsic pathway with the activation of factor 10 at the start of the common pathway. Drugs known as anticoagulants act on the secondary hemostasis process. They block various points in this coagulation cascade and work to prevent the development of a fibrin clot. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about why you would use anticoagulation and the different types of anticoagulants available. Indications for anticoagulation, which generally fall into the category of either preventing the development of thrombosis or preventing the progression of existing thrombotic disease. Examples of thrombosis prevention include anticoagulation and atrial fibrillation to reduce stroke risk or venous thromboembolism prophylaxis in hospitalized or other high-risk patients. Preventing progression of existing thrombotic disease is indicated when conditions such as deep vein thrombosis, arterial thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, and acute coronary syndrome, 
Preventing progression of existing thrombotic disease is indicated in conditions such as deep vein thrombosis, arterial thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, and acute coronary syndrome, though this list is not exhaustive. The different types of anticoagulant drugs we will go over include heparins, warfarins, and direct oral anticoagulants. First is unfractionated heparin, a large mucopolysaccharide which acts by activating the natural anticoagulant protein antithrombin. Normally, antithrombin binds and inactivates both thrombin and factor 10A. When unfractionated heparin binds to antithrombin, this process is accelerated, increasing inhibition of the coagulation cascade. Unfractionated heparin is given intravenously, and dosing is both weight and indication-based. Importantly, unfractionated heparin comes with a risk of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, HIT, an antibody-mediated cause of thrombocytopenia often associated with thrombosis. Low-molecular weight heparins, which include daltaparin, enoxaparin, and tinzaparin, are smaller fragments, about one-third of the molecular weight, of unfractionated heparin. The shorter polysaccharide sequence of low-molecular weight heparin makes it less effective at inactivating thrombin when bound to antithrombin, but still inhibits factor 10A just as effectively. Low-molecular weight heparin is the mainstay of DVT prophylaxis in hospitalized patients. Dosing of low-molecular weight heparin is also determined by weight and indication. Low-molecular weight heparin has a much lower risk of HIT or heparin-induced thrombocytopenia than unfractionated heparin. Limitations to low-molecular weight heparin include that it is cleared renally and thus should be avoided in hemodialysis patients or those with renal failure in favor of unfractionated heparin when being used in larger doses, for example, for treatment of pulmonary embolism. Fonda Paranox is an even smaller synthetic anticoagulant based on the pentasaccharide sequence that makes up the minimal antithrombin binding region of heparin. Similar to low-molecular weight heparins, it is an indirect inhibitor of factor 10A but it does not inhibit thrombin at all. The risk of HIT is negligible with Fonda Paranox. Warfarin is a vitamin K antagonist that interferes with the synthesis of vitamin K-dependent clotting factors, which are factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. These clotting factors can take up to 72 hours to be depleted after warfarin is started. Additionally, the natural anticoagulants protein C and protein S are also vitamin K-dependent and have a shorter half-life. Consequently, after starting warfarin, due to the early interference of protein C and S, patients are predisposed to a prothrombotic state. This necessitates overlap with a rapidly acting parental anticoagulant, such as low-molecular weight heparin, for the first few days when starting warfarin. Warfarin dosing is based on the INR, a monitoring parameter that we will discuss later. The next class of anticoagulants are direct oral anticoagulants, or DOACs. DOACs include dabigatrin, which is a direct thrombin inhibitor. The other DOACs are the factor 10A inhibitors and include apixaban, rivaroxaban, and adoxaban. Dosages for DOACs are specific to the indication, with dose reductions for weight and renal function under certain circumstances. DOACs have been shown to be non-inferior or superior to warfarin or heparins for most anticoagulation needs, such as treatment of venous thromboembolism, non-valvular atrial fibrillation, and cancer-associated thrombosis. However, DOACs remain unstudied in children, pregnant and breastfeeding women, and patients with significant renal disease defined as an EGFR of less than 15 or 30, depending on the DOAC. 
Since we've talked about HIT from use of heparin anticoagulants, it is worth mentioning some non-heparin anticoagulants that are used in the treatment of HIT. Argatrobin and bivalrudin are parental direct thrombin inhibitors, while danaparinoid inhibits thrombin and factor 10A. These drugs are not used commonly due to cost and bleeding risk, but you should be aware that they exist. Overall, the choice of anticoagulant depends on many factors, including the indication, efficacy, risk of bleeding, comorbidities, renal function, burden of monitoring, and costs to the patient. There may be more than one reasonable option, so sharing decision-making may be useful in directing a final therapeutic recommendation. Now that we've gone over the options available, let's talk about monitoring. The two most common tests of coagulation are the PT and the PTT. The PTT test assesses the intrinsic and common pathways, while the PT test evaluates the extrinsic and common pathway. PTT is commonly used to monitor unfractionated heparin. There is a degree of institutional variability in practice, and some centers use anti-10A to monitor unfractionated heparin. Conversely, since low molecular weight heparin compounds more selectively neutralize factor 10A over thrombin, the PTT is not an accurate measure of activity. An anti-10A level is used instead if needed, but as low molecular weight heparin has fairly reliable pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics, they do not need routine monitoring. Routine monitoring is also not indicated for Fonda Paranox. Warfarin is monitored using the Internationalized Normalized Ratio or INR, which is calculated from PT using standardized reference parameters. A patient's target INR depends on indication, but is generally 2 to 3, apart from specific valvular situations. The DOACs also have fairly reliable pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics, and therefore do not need routine monitoring. However, it should be important to note that the DOACs can affect traditional measures of coagulation, including the PT and PTT. For example, dibigatrin can prolong both the PT and PTT, but these tests do not reliably predict drug activity and thus are not used for routine monitoring. Thrombin time, however, which measures the conversion of fibrinogen to fibrin, is an exquisitely sensitive test for the presence, but not amount, of dibigatrin in the bloodstream. For apixaban, rivaroxaban, and adoxaban, since the drugs inhibit factor 10A, both PT and PTT may be variably affected, but again, are not reliable tests. These drugs can also be monitored using a specific anti-10A assay. However, this is not routinely done. Regardless of anticoagulant choice, it is important when starting anticoagulation to obtain an accurate weight for dosing and to follow if there are fluctuations in weight, such as during pregnancy. Creatin clearance should also be calculated since this can determine type as well as the dose of anticoagulation. Patients and caregivers should be educated on clinical signs of bleeding to watch out for and seek medical attention if they occur. Platelet counts should also be monitored for HIT, and because a platelet count below 30 is a contraindication to anticoagulation. Next, let's talk about managing bleeding events in anticoagulated patients and reversal of anticoagulation. 
To assess the severity of an anticoagulant-related bleeding event, you should identify possible sources and location of the bleeding, and closely monitor vital signs for evidence of hemodynamic instability. Move the patient to a monitored setting and ensure adequate large-bore IV access for rapid administration of blood products. Review medications, including timing of most recent anticoagulation dose. Initial lab studies should include the CBC, creatinine, PTINR, and PTT, as well as type and cross in anticipation of blood transfusions. Most specific tests, like thrombin time or a drug-specific level, may be useful if there is uncertainty around the most recent usage of anticoagulation. The first step in managing any significant bleeding event is to temporarily stop the administration of the anticoagulant. As previously mentioned, blood products may be needed in significant bleeding events to stabilize your patient, although massive transfusion protocols are beyond the scope of this podcast. You should reassess your patient frequently for hemodynamic stability if you feel they are unstable. Depending on the source of the bleeding identified, you should involve other services such as gastroenterology or neurosurgery to aid in definitive management. Fortunately, most bleeding events are not life-threatening and can be managed conservatively without active reversal. Reversal is generally only indicated in cases of life-threatening, critical organ, or major bleeding, or if an invasive procedure is urgently needed and cannot be safely performed while anticoagulated. Let's talk about reversal agents for specific anticoagulants. Heparin, and to a lesser extent, low-molecular-weight heparin, can be reversed with protamine sulfate. For warfarin, emergency reversal in the case of life-threatening bleeding requires intravenous vitamin K and should be administered along with a four-factor prothrombin complex concentrate, PCC, which contains factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. PCC is preferred over fresh-frozen plasma, FFP for warfarin reversal, since it provides more rapid reversal with fewer adverse effects. Although note that PCC cannot be given for those who are HIT positive. In patients who are not bleeding but have an INR above 10, oral vitamin K can be used. Dabigatrin can be reversed with idarasuzumab, a monoclonal antibody that binds dabigatrin. Apixaban, rivaroxaban, and adoxaban can be reversed using adnexinate alpha a recombinate-modified version of human-activated factor 10, which acts as a dummy molecule for the DOAC. Unfortunately, indexinate alpha is not yet available in Canada, and so one should use 4-factor PCC in conjunction with an antifibrinolytic agent, tranexamic acid, to reverse factor 10A inhibitors. The next area of drug development for anticoagulation is targeting factor 11 and 12. The Foxtrot Randomized Clinical Trial was a phase 2 study published in JAMA of Ososumab, a monoclonal antibody against factor 11, for DVT prophylaxis in patients undergoing total knee arthroplasty. Further study is ongoing in this area, and it will likely be a few years before these medications become commercially available. Thank you for listening to today's episode about anticoagulation. You may find it helpful to have a visual aid for this episode, so please go to our website, theinternetwork.com, for our associated infographic. This episode was written by Dr. Nicholas Kordenke, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Janet Liu, hematologist, and Dr. Marie Leung, general internal medicine. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This episode was recorded by Zara Morali and produced by Nafis Hussain. Music production by Laxman's Vantha Mohan. 
If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Internet Work. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.